Hello, kia ora, and welcome to In Pursuit of Purpose with me, your host, Tim Jones, the Grow Good Guy. Three, two, one, keep back in the room. <laughs> <laughs> look into my eyes, look into my eyes, look into my eyes. <laughs> oh, we, <laughs> we laugh. <laughs> then I, then I no fun <laughs> on this podcast. No fun. It's about very serious purpose related things. Hey, kia ora and welcome to the latest episode of In Pursuit of Purpose with me, Tim Jones, the Grow Good Guy. And this week, uh, we connect with Anna Christofodou, who is an amazing human based here in Otatahi Christchurch in a little old New Zealand. And yeah, in here, in this podcast, we uh, we get into talking about addiction and the connections between perhaps a lack of purpose and proclivity to addiction and uh, some of the other many uh, and complicated underlying factors of addiction but also some of the good news stories that um, Anna's been working on um, and how yeah connection in particular can can perhaps solve some of these bigger systemic issues that we're we're facing around the world so yeah sit back relax kick back get yourself a cup of tea we had some Yorkshire tea uh, at the end of this episode or your other favorite tipple and um, yeah get stuck in Hey, uh, kia ora and welcome. And so, yeah, with me this week, I have the amazing Anna Christofodou. So, Anna, hello. Hello. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about who you are and what amazing things you're doing. Okay. Um, I'll try not to, to laugh at this time. I'm going to have to restart the <laughs> mic again. <laughs> Oops. Um, I am the operations manager for um, Odyssey House here in Christchurch, and we provide addiction treatment services for a range of people from age 13 to over 65s. Wow. Um, yeah, I've been doing that for four years. And um, I also do some leadership and professional coaching as well. So quite a nice, a nice mix. A nice mix. Yeah. Um, so I guess the burning question for me is how did you get into this sort of field of work, you know, particularly the addiction services stuff? You know, have you always been someone who's wanting to help and, and do good because I presume you're, you're trying to do some good in the work that you're doing with Odyssey um, or was it something that you transitioned to later in life? That's a good question. Um, it's interesting because um, I know we've had conversations around purpose before um, but I have always wanted to be a social worker, always as far as I can remember so um, I knew kind of from age 15 that was Social work was what I wanted that was to your do. Path. Yeah, yeah. So, so having conversations around purpose, um, either in the workplace where I work or with people that you're coaching, mm. when people seem to not have a direction, when you've had one from a young age, it's it's quite an interesting conversation conversation to have. But no, social mm. work was always what I wanted to do, and I've always worked in the field of addictions and mental health. I took a wee break from it to have my own business and disengage from it completely um, and then came back to this um, job at Odyssey which I absolutely love. Yeah. I get a real sense of that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, where do you think that kind of sense of purpose came from? Because I think most people um, globally are typically working in a commercial type job where maybe there is not such a clear sense of purpose um, uh, and, and even on a day-to-day -day basis there's a lack of real sort of connecting to meaning in what they're doing so I think for some people what well, my experience would certainly be that 
it's very hard for people to understand how to go find purpose, which is partly why I'm doing these. But yeah, so for that, but I think you and Michelle Sharp, um, previous guest, you two both in particular seem to have just had it from an early age. So where do you think that came? I guess this is for the parents out there. How do you how do you create amazing kids that are purpose driven from an early age? Because it seems to be that you've had that. So yeah, where, where do you see that came from, or feel that came from? That's a really interesting question. I think that that will have come from my parents, obviously. Yep. Um, so that make that question makes me consider my siblings, <laughs> and, and, and are they purpose driven? I would argue that they they are. So mm. if if there's three of us all purpose driven, then that's a very good question. Um, my 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 dad is an, um, came over from Cyprus to the UK at age sixteen. Um, and um, worked really hard like lots of immigrants mm. do and um, left his village in the mountains there and I think that that experience of, of my dad and of seeing someone work hard and of hearing the hard stories and seeing the hard stories um, has influenced me mm. um, definitely Definitely, and and also um, really understanding that I saw that life wasn't fair, and I think that's where the social work okay. thing for me came in, is that life wasn't fair for people, and that um, one of the key messages from my dad is that people should remember that no one is ever beneath them, and um, I always got that loud and clear, and and as a teenager growing up in London at the time that he did, there was a lot of Teenagers were quite activists then, mm. and um, they're activists now, clearly. But um, yeah, just that social injustice really was strong. Mm. And mm. that clearly shines through the work that you're currently doing. And I think that for me, you know, a big part of the purpose work, and I think the conversation I had with Catherine van der Mullen, we got really into this idea of like the shadow. It's like going into that part of you that you don't want to find, but that is there within all of us to sort of work out why you are who you are but equally on the positive side the reason why you are who you are is because of parents and, and genetics and life and, and what's shaped you and it's yeah it's interesting that you kind of reflected on that and I think there was there obviously was there must have been some kind of pivotal conversation that you, you remember subconsciously where your dad was talking about fairness and you know no one's beneath you that that's just being cemented at a, at a developmental age within you that you've just gone yeah that's that's the path that's really cool. I think this is the interesting. I think you know, particularly we're, we're both parents. Is you know, you are in charge of crafting the destiny of these little people, um, and what messaging you're putting in their head is is going to be a big component of, of the path they go on. And, and I think that segues into like thirteen year olds having addiction services. Like, how does that happen? Like, well, I mean, New Zealand has what is it still or it's one of the highest youth suicide rates? Globally, and we've got thirteen-year-olds checking themselves in or, or being checked in for addiction. Like, what's what's mm. what's that about? How's mm. that happening? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are social issues, and our statistics aren't to be to be proud of when we compared with um, other OECD countries. That's for sure. Yes, um, I think. Um, there are those services wherever you are in the world. Though. Sure. And um, you know, adverse childhood experiences can impact on all of us. 
Um, and it could be any of us accessing those services and, and we're all given different um, steps up in life mm. according to um, where, we, where we're born, who we are, our heritage, all kinds of things. So there's so many factors that, that come into play there. Mm. Um, I think, uh, personally, I think that the, the, the values that you try and um, live yourself by or, or, or as staff of organisations live by themselves or as we're trying to work with clients and residents to, to look at and consider it are really, really important with um, the pathways that we take as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it seems, yeah, it's global statistics on addiction and mental health issues seem to be going up and up. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is um, partly my take on, on this is that lack of purpose if you don't have a clear sense of contributing and why you're doing what you're doing and meaningfully connecting with other humans, like that's for me that's like the foundational thing that, that a human needs. And if you're lacking that, then it's and and um, listening to a guy uh, John Vervaki, he's a or he's, I don't know if he's a professor, but he's certainly a university lecturer at University of Toronto. He's got a really cool 53-part lecture series where he's kind of unpacking the, the meaning crisis. And he, he definitely points to the fact like a, a lack of meaning is it's going to lead you more likely down the path of addiction and, and you know numbing to try and get yourself away from the existential crisis of I don't know what I should be doing and I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, and I'm sure because you you know you you're, you're, you've got you have a curious mind, so you go and fill it with with all these amazing people we can learn off now with technology, but. Mm. You know, Johan Hari's famous yes. TED talk, yeah, yeah. Um, and the opposite of addiction is, is connection. Yes. And um, yes, you know, that the other person that um, we have a conference here within the addiction field called Cutting Edge, but um, um, Professor David Best from Sheffield um, Hallam University um, has done a lot of work with addictions and recovery mm. and, and what makes recovery successful. Recovery is, is a continuum, yes. but, but why do some people seem to, to achieve better than others? And, and he identifies, as you've correctly um, identified, that um, connection, um, a sense of hope, mm. um, that you have purpose and meaning. Um, so they're all really critical things mm. for, for all of us, for everybody. Yeah. Um, and um, as treatment um, providers, that's something that we need to be to be working towards as well. It isn't just what happens now. We need to make sure yes. that when people leave us, you know, my, my service that I manage is the, the men's residential service. It's one of, of my portfolio. And when when the guys leave us, they need to feel connected mm. and they need to feel that they um, have a sense of purpose and that they have some opportunities and they're not marginalised by mm. employers and housing. And, and that's a that's a challenge and yes. it's a challenge for us anyway without having addiction yeah, totally. and, you know to, to, to forge those things yeah you know? adulting full stop it's pretty hard. adulting yeah. yes <laughs> although I'd rather adult than teenage there is that my daughter's seven I quite, I quite like the life of a seven year old girl in my house right now it, it, looks, it looks pretty <laughs> it looks good pretty it's good. made of unicorns and rainbows and yeah parties and stuff so oh, yeah. they're always good yeah. for distraction yeah yeah <laughs> that's i mean it's an interesting part because just picking up on the ace that adverse childhood um, experience survey um i'll put a link to that because i was introduced to that by a mutual friend um and you kind of go oh yeah you know i'll be okay but 
I think I got because it's like that, it's a ten, there's a basic ten point survey. Mark yourself. Yeah, I got four out of ten, and you kind of go, okay, so I'm like forty percent in to have having had an adverse a childhood experiences that have adversely affected me as an adult, and you kind of go, to all intents and purposes, my life was pretty good growing up. But I think the four that I got were um, like your parents divorced before a certain age. Mm. Um, did you try uh, cigarettes or drugs before a certain age? Did you try alcohol before a certain age? And I think there was one about um, kind of like levels of abuse, not uh, things like verbal abuse mm. in the house or something. And you kind of go, okay, well, that's, I'm four. Like, and I had a pretty good life. Mm. <laughs> you really, that really opened my eyes up to go, well, and I guess... Um, I've been doing um, through my own personal development work, you know, recognizing things from a, a younger age that have been affecting me as an adult. And you kind of go, well, if you don't know that and you're stuck in that, like it's pretty hard to get out of that. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, I guess it's just recognizing that anyone can be having that adverse childhood experience and how critical it is to be good parents, really. Mm. I think that, how do you see, like, but it's, And then you yeah. move into, we move into tools then, don't you? Move into, mm. so if, 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 if we take it as a given that people have adverse childhood trauma, then where does, you know, what tools do you have? What makes mm. someone more resilient yes. than somebody else? And, you know, Christchurch is, oh, poor old Christchurch in so many ways. Mm. And, um, you know, you look around us and, you know, what makes people so resilient and um, how have we, um, why are some people more resilient than others? And that's a whole nother it's a whole a whole podcast. podcast. <laughs> and, and um, you know, there's there's so much learning to be to mm. be had on there and how can we foster resilience and, and build resilience mm. and give people the tools to, to manage better. But you're mm. right, there's a, there's a journey to be had around people's own self-development and confidence and tools to move them forward. Mm. Um, but to have a... Um, clear set of values that you know you or I might have, but they change over time. But yeah. And have a clear understanding of this is this is the contribution that mm. I want to make, and this is why I get up in the morning. And and to be able to pull all those together, I think is 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 a foundational, which mm. is you know comes back to that. You know, yeah. What's your sense of purpose, mm. and and what what guides you and navigates you through mm. the day? And yeah, it's it's literally insane that. There's no, you know, there's no, there's no school, there's no parent school, there's no, you know, hey, let's just make sure, you know, you guys mentally prepared to have this child. So I mean, it is quite crazy that there's no, there's no purpose classroom in high school. No, exactly <laughs> that, and, and and that I think is really interesting, and it's like, it, in many ways, I look at the modern world, and you go, if you wanted to create, um, like a laboratory for high levels of addiction and mental health issues you'd be hard-pressed to design a better world than the one we've created in terms of, you know, suburbia, um, isolation, we drive in our own little car, or we get on the bus with our little headphones, or we bike to work by ourselves, um, we sit in our little cubicle at work, we isolate ourselves because we've got to focus and concentrate on the work, you know, we put our old people into, uh, you know, mm. retirement villages, for a better word. There was another word I wasn't going to use, by the way. Um, yeah, it's like in terms of isolate, social isolation and materialism, like you'd, you'd be hard pressed to create a better, a better version of the world we've currently got. And then mm. at the same time, we've got these mental health and addiction services. That's like, well, how do we, it's all like have this kind of nuclear disarmament, this de escalation of some of that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. To what we've created. Yeah, like, how do you, what are your thoughts? Like, what, are, what, what would be the, 
I, you know, there is no silver bullet, but if there was one thing that you could, like, there was one big lever, if you, you were prime minister or um, dictator for a day, and you're like, right, if we could just, if we change this, we create a significant impact in terms of around that uh, addiction piece. I think there will always be, you know, there's always going to be substance use, and and the, I suppose for me the curiosity is, you know, it's why does someone become addicted to a substance and someone not mm. become addicted to the same substance, whether that's alcohol, yeah. whether it's opiates, whether it's um, stimulants, you mm. know, and that comes back to what you were talking about early on. Um, trauma and um, pathways that people take. Mm. It also, um, I feel, comes to um, you know your surroundings and your environment, and you know the privilege that you may or may not be be born into. Um, so I think you know, man has always wanted to take his head left of centre, and that's not going to change. <laughs> um, but the outcomes of that could be different. And mm. and right now, you know, a, a drug user is a criminal. Yes. Um, unless you're an alcohol user, because that one's okay. Yes. And our coffee. Yes. That I've and had a few cups of. Yeah. yeah. So, well, cigarettes is an it's, interesting yeah, one because that was okay and now it's yeah, not okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, uh, so there's a whole lot of layers mm. that come on on top of that. So it's not a, a simple answer. Yeah. Answer to that question. Bit. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting one here. There's too many mm. multi multi layers to that one, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> but then I think it's also equally interesting is that if you look at a lot of many high performing individuals in the world, typically have a hard upbringing. Like you'll you'll hear you know the the amazing I think it's one of the footballers. I'm not a big soccer fan, but if I'd been um, Ronaldo. The football. Soccer. football. Sorry, soccer football. Yeah. Change. <laughs> but and I, I quite like cycling, and there's there's been a couple of like really good Tour de France riders who basically have got to greatness because they came from a really mm. poor start. And so there's a, again there's this kind of weird, okay, well do, do you kind of want your kid to have some bad experiences, but not so bad that they're traumatic, but you need to have them have some hardship so that they then go and do something of significance later on, or. Are we all better if we just end up with vanilla kids having vanilla lives who don't do? I don't know. It's interesting. Are we all? Are we all going to learn from? It's interesting, actually. Um, one of the, uh, the other things that I do within my um, role at Odyssey is we we run a program which is for um, called the Popcorn Program, and it's for clinicians that, that almost want to drop their clinical hat for a while mm. and start looking at our work with a curiosity lens. Nice. So um, one of the things that we you know we we talk about within that program is is failure, and you know like we we go from this period of time when you know as a little kid you. Mm fall over, you cut your knee, you know, you fail, you fail, you fail, and, and you, all these things happen, but you keep on going. But then somehow we hit teenagehood, and you have to get 10 out of 10, yes. and you have to get ticks, and no failure is allowed, mm. and, um, and we, we, it just kind of stops. But yes. actually, that's how we learn through our hardships sometimes, mm. and through things that didn't go as well as we planned. And um, the ability to see the learning in that mm. and to develop as a consequence of that rather than just say that was bad. Yes, don't um, do it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I seriously, yeah, because yeah, I look back at, at my schooling and 
anything below a C was considered a fail. Mm. And it's like very much the, the, the whole concept was around, you know, educational and sporting excellence, not go and test that, see how you go, come back with your learnings. Yeah, whereas I see, you know, my daughter, you know, well, this was maybe a year or two ago, when she was all five or six, they were teaching them the whole Carol Dweck growth mindset. You know, I can't do this yet. And, you know, what, and when they did learn a, a new activity or a new thing, they'd be pushed to try it at a higher level or mm. they'd be asked to pick something else that they were, you know, less good at, that they could try harder on. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what this next generation, or I guess the next couple of generations kind of... Because they'll have a change. Come out with, because I think they'll be approaching the world with a whole different mindset. And mm. I think that's part of the problem with sort of our age group who oh, aren't. Yeah. I got a cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, yeah. I've got a red mark, red crosses. They look awful. You do not want to get any of those. Soul destroying. Yeah. 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 Mm. Very yeah. cool. So, um, talking of programs, you mentioned uh, before we started your running group. That's quite a cool initiative that you've got going there. Oh, the Speed Freaks. Yeah, tell yeah. us a bit about that. Because I think that's a really cool. It's kind of creating inclusivity through environments where you both want to be there. Because I think that's one of the challenges for inclusivity is it's like you will be inclusive and you'll be inclusive with us right now. And it's like, but that's not inclusive. It's let's create an environment where you will bump into people that you ordinarily wouldn't bump into. And then you realize that we're kind of the same and that's how we'll create. And I think what you've been doing is a really great example of that. So yeah, tell us like, how did that come about and what's it about and oh, what does it do? And I think also it's a really, it feeds into what you were saying before around, uh, I'm gonna just jump back to the beginning of the conversation with you, Tim, because you mentioned around, it's really easy for, for people who think, oh, I wanted to be a social worker at this age mm. or, or work in NGOs to think that um, people that are working in the helping profession have a clear sense of purpose and are therefore more engaged and mm. happier in their jobs. Not necessarily Not so, and yeah. it's really easy for, for people in NGOs to think people in corporates yes. are miserable because they don't have a sense of purpose, and not necessarily so, and, and sometimes the magic happens where you can get those two worlds colliding, mm. and there's a, this gap in the middle, and, and, and to me that's, that's the bit that really needs to be explored, and mm. things like social enterprise start yeah. to explore that, but there's more, yeah. and it's about the people. And um, that's what we see with the Speed Freaks, mm. really. So tell us about that. What, what's it all about? How did, did you start it? Was it your idea? Um, no, it was started by a resident. So wow. it was started by, um, we had, they've been, the Speed Freaks have been running since 2017. And um, we've had 62, I think I did some stats the other day for mm. a presentation and, and Stephanie was pulling together these, these stats for a project that we're doing specifically looking at impact and she's specifically looking at the impact of the speed freaks not just for our residents but more broadly mm -hmm. um so they we had a boot camp running every tuesday and um for people that are in christchurch and then we have the city to serve and yep. so um the the guys at the time said why can't we do that so um, your residents yeah so the city to serve for those not in Christchurch, it's like a, was it a 10k run or? 14. 14, yeah, 14 sorry, sorry, 14 sorry. Six. Not that you're measuring. <laughs> um, so it's like a, a fun run in inverted commas yeah. that goes from the city centre to the beach. So, and yeah. so some of the residents were kind of like, Can we do why this? can't we do this? Yeah. Reason, reasonable question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because no one's ever asked before. Yeah, <laughs> partly. And also partly because we're a therapeutic community. And um, 
you know, our, our 90% of our residents come out of prison, 10% are community clients, mm. and for six months we live, they live in, a, on, in our residence, and for six months they have our, so it's up to a 12-month programme. And the first portion of that programme is very insular, because people are having to sort of look at their values and, and move their, their thinking, it's, mm-hmm. it's, in its, in its an intense programme, yeah, yeah. very intense. So we were quite insular in our thinking, mm. and um, that's suddenly like, oh, we're going out in the community. Um, Connection, what a crazy idea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the city surfing work. And actually now we do the city to surf as an organisation, so this wow. will be our fourth year of doing it for, for, for everybody mm. that wants to enter or enter. Nice. You'll um, see us on the finish line. So, so, the, so the residents kind of threw down the gauntlet and it was a bit competitive, so we, we did it and it was a brilliant experience and the experience for guys at the time was we want more of this and why mm. can we run can we yeah. start training and can we do another event so it was driven by the residents and nice. now it's part of the program so you have this it's a running group that you facilitate but it's open to everyone is that right no it's for the house so it's open for the residents yeah um it's we had an amazing um, running coach called Jamie Walker, mm-hmm. who um, had a Braveheart Award for years of, of, mm-hmm. of supporting our, our guys and being um, an amazing role model, actually, for our men and um, being part of our community. And when Jamie retired, um, Stephanie is a team leader for uh, our adult residential service and she's a really accomplished runner. She's run nice. Comrades a number of times, which is 90 kilometres in South Africa. Yeah, that makes sense. You don't want to do that? We can no. sign you up, we can do I, it as a fun I mean, now. For those of you that don't know me, I'm like <laughs> six foot four and 115-ish kilos. Long distance running is not my game. You just may not have found it yet. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've run a marathon once and that was enough. I'm like, tick got the medal thank you very much <laughs> I, think my, I think my knees are still sore <laughs> you could do a fun run with us too maybe um, so, so 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 Stephanie's worked you know worked really hard to support the guys but what was really clear to us was actually what happens with volunteers and what mm. happens because obviously Stephanie and I are female and our house is for men is the magic of bringing people in to volunteer that are not part of the clinical team and so we were approached by um, a uh, ultra runner who's based here in Christchurch who, who's basically facilitated this amazing group of, of volunteer guys and they offer their time on a Tuesday to run with our runners and on a Thursday to run with our runners and we did a run yesterday um, in Hagley Park here to run to remember. Yeah, and and that's how it's worked, and nice. and it would be interest. So the impact for us is that we have these amazing role models. Mm-hmm. The impact for the coaches is that they get to have the experience of of running with us, and yeah, um, yeah give give back too. That's super cool, and because because I think you know I, I always come back to if you look at like the three three best ways you can start to identify purpose in your life, and service is like the obvious one and that's really the bedrock of purpose is doing something that's bigger than you for, for other things where there's shared benefit and you know I think, I'm pretty sure it's a quote from uh, Gandhi you know you find yourself by losing yourself in the service of others and it's like it's so cool what you're doing there but it's also like such a natural 
link, I suppose, to that trying to crack the addiction side of things and like just get out into nature, go for a run, like get some of those natural drugs going in terms of your dopamine, your endorphins, your serotonin, what have you, and have that sense of accomplishment for doing city to surf. It's like, it's such a home run of yeah. goodness in all of that. And like I say, it's really interesting like when you get into impact measurement, it's really hard to sort of go, well, you can, you can maybe, you know, how do you measure the smile on one of your, uh, you know, one of the, the residents' faces having come from a run? Mm. You know, how do you measure the connection that they have talking to someone on that run? How do you measure the impact of that person who's volunteered going back home and just being a happier person because they've been for a run and have felt, felt like they've done something meaningful? It's like, it's so hard to capture right. some of that goodness. Um, but have you got you, any ideas? Well, <laughs> Part of me is like, you know, B Corps, yeah, measure impact. It's all about proving the good that you do. But sometimes it's just like, do we need to measure the good that we're doing? Because let's just do the good. Do you know what I mean? It's like, how, how, do you measure, how do you measure happiness? How do you measure a sense of purpose equally across a large group of people? It's like, you can't benchmark that. You know, you can be, yeah. under B Corps, you can benchmark the operational framework that you're operating and do you have a, an impact business model that is des, you know, designed for your business to do good, but how do you measure, I mean, we had this at Kilmarnock. Well, we, we still need to be able to evidence it, don't you? It's like, um, so we, we, we have done, we've got a, um, a survey online, mm. people can go to the Odyssey House um, Christchurch mm. Facebook page and click on the survey, which was, tr- was trying to gauge the impact of the speed freaks in that way mm. you know have 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 you run with um the speed freaks have you had mm. a conversation um you know how did that make you feel yeah. what have you learned and and because you're right those those gems of stories that come back from the runners or from the community is that's the thing that that's, that's what you're doing yeah and, yeah you know, um, but it's hard to, it's hard to go as a not-for-profit to go to a funder and go but we're putting smart. We've put smiles on ten people's faces. Yeah. it's like, mm. or it's hard for someone who's <laughs> who's had an experience with us to then think, okay, that felt really good. How can I? What can I take of that? Mm. And what can I do with that? That, yeah. that that feeds into my purpose or values or impact or how yeah. can my business, um, you know, match with an NGO yeah. or what can we be doing differently? And how do you start those conversations? Mm. I'll get onto that in a minute because I've got a question I want to ask you around that, but. I kind of feel it's 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 because we're too much, we're too much in our heads in our current society. Like if you went and spent some time with an Aboriginal community, or like a true a truly indigenous community that's still living a non-Westernized lifestyle, you wouldn't be having conversations around how do we measure happiness and how do we measure connection. Like a they wouldn't have a unit of measurement for that, and b they just go, well we just have it. And I kind of think. I don't know, maybe we need to go through the rational, dogmatic measurement part of it to get us out the other side when we realise that actually you can't put a measurement on it. Do you know what I mean? Or you shouldn't, you shouldn't need to put a measurement on it. It should just be like your steady state. You know, it, should just be, it should just be purpose. It should be joy. There should be. I'm not saying that that's all the time, but it's like we should know more what that looks, what it feels like rather than give us another spreadsheet of what's the happiness quotient this week in the organisation. But then there's a break though, isn't there? So is that fear? Is is it is it is it that or, or is it a gap? You know, like we've we've we you know you go to work and you do your job here or you do your job here. How do you connect those different arenas and you don't know what you don't know, do you? No. And um, so how do you how do you kind of open that up? 
I, th- I think there. I think that's where you know that kind of some kind of measurement there is useful to, to point people in the right direction. Yeah. But I, I've, I've had that question uh, at a lunch and learn I did a while ago. You know, what's the ROI on being a B Corp? It's like, well, sometimes just doing the right thing is the right thing, and you shouldn't have to measure. You know your return on it, even though there are heaps of returns on investment on being a B Corp. You know, there's all the stats on employees, engagement, supply chain, all the rest of it. But sometimes it's it's just like maybe just do it because it's the right thing to do, and don't overthink it. Just like does it feel like it's the right thing to do? Yeah, I don't know. And, and but Ben, but that's that's living to your purpose though, isn't it? In values, because we all yeah, know, totally. you know, you go you know into, what feels right. Totally, yeah, and, yeah. and and and, and you know we have that we have this conversation quite a lot. Um, um, you know, when you're talking around around your values as well, you can go to meetings and come out of meetings and know actually that felt yuck. Yes. And why did it feel yuck? Yeah, yeah, it's because yeah. I didn't stand by my values. I yes. didn't stand by my purpose. If I'd gone into the meeting and that outcome wasn't the best, but yeah. I knew that you know it that meeting was kind, it was respectful, it was compassionate, and it was looking for opportunities for everybody. Yeah. And it didn't work so well. That's I'd great. Just go, yeah, yeah. Feel okay, but I did my best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So there's an element of just got. There's no. Yeah, you can't measure that stuff. That's just internal, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and I think that's where we've lost a lot. I think, I think we're so disconnected from our hearts and souls in the West in general because it's all about spreadsheet, rational. What's return on investment? You know, if we do put three of those in, do we get ten out? Okay, yeah, let's do it. Instead of just going. We might put 10 in and we might never see them again, but that's the right thing to do. Have we got 10 that we can give? Yes. Okay. Let's just go and do it then. And I kind of think that's ultimately where I see, that's where I'm trying to help people realise is that if you get to that place, that's a really cool place. Mm-hmm. And I think that solve a lot of the, the wider systemic problems we've got. Yeah. That's my take on it anyway. I'm willing to give it's it like a go. D- dialing down the noise, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm. Dialing down the, the peripheral stuff that's getting in the way of... The purpose exactly that just being a good human just getting on and having a good life yeah but just on that measuring impact and stuff you you have got a pretty interesting you've got some interesting other models in terms of how you're running odyssey house and you've got a partnership with a commercial organization that you do some stuff with is that correct well we've 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 done a few things a bit differently yeah. so um we started a social enterprise toolkit training a couple of years ago now and um we worked with Akina to do some scoping around um, what was the best way for us to look at some extra income generation. Mm-hmm. And that was a really good experience for an NGO to go through. And I think NGOs are well placed to explore social enterprise because we've got mechanisms already set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that um, social enterprise provides training around um, well-being, um, substance use, harm reduction, and works in the commercial arena and also works with other NGOs yeah. and um, charities. Um, so that's that's been really good for us. And then we've also um, done some work with our workshop, which we're just getting off the ground now, which again is, is providing some employment or will be working towards providing some employment for our for our residents. And so that was a whole new area for yeah. for us to move into um, as Odyssey. And, you know, it's learning and, and yeah. we have you know, made some mistakes on the way, but we're moving forward with, with yep. them both and um, they're both going well. So I think, you know, you have to be able to explore relationships outside of, of health in order to, to grow and in order to have, have impact, mm. you know, and, and you're right, that impact might not be a dollar sign, it could be 
the ripple effect of conversations or of knowing what an organisation does. Totally. Um, so, you, yeah, what are some of the specifics around like the programmes, like reintegration, so getting pathways back into employment? That's the sort of sort of areas you're looking into? For our... For your residents? For our residents. Yeah, yeah for, so we've got so many. <laughs> Odyssey is growing and growing and growing in the last few years. But for our residents, um, yeah, obviously we need to make sure treatment is just one part of the yep. continuum. In fact, it could be argued that's the smallest part mm. and the biggest part is what's going to happen in what the community. Then? So mm. reintegration is is really important for mm. us. Our, um, and everything we do is part of that process. Um, process speed freaks as part of that mm. process you know people opening doors that would otherwise be shut I'm willing to give someone a chance in employment um, and if I'm not ready for employment I'm going to be able to do some work within our workshop until I feel confident to step back out into that world again so there's a whole a whole heap of stuff that happens and then within um, within Odyssey we, we work out of a very very old building um, at Greer's Road which was Originally in nunnery. Wow. I know. If the walls could talk, it would be so <laughs> Well, they might not say much, but they were they a silent <laughs> order. <laughs> and then it was um, a girls' school, and, and now it's um, a residential treatment program. But we're, re- we're in the process of rebuilding that. So oh, wow. um, we are fundraising for that at the moment. But that, that in itself, just to have a purpose built environment mm. for our guys, will be a game changer. Yeah. So there's a whole heap of stuff going on. But um, yeah. Reintegration and getting back in the community is the big, yeah, the big hurdle, the big thing that mm. we want to happen for everybody, yeah, and to c- contribute back. Mm. So that they, I guess, it's like closing that loop on, you know, if isolation or, or um, you know, solitude to a degree has played a part in their addiction. You know, once you've got yourself clean, to then try and go back into community and not be accepted is just going to put you. Yeah. Right back to square one, I imagine. Yeah, mm. yeah, and and I think that that's where community needs to step forward, really, because you know we can pay taxes and contribute to, um, you know, how much it costs to keep someone in prison, mm. how much it costs to treat some treat someone for addiction or for for anything really, and um, if we don't open our door as a community at the other end. Mm. We're failing. Yeah. We're not supporting. We've we've done half a job. Mm. You know, so so really, we need to have that welcome mm. when people leave. Do you work with communities to help them? It's tough, isn't it? Because uh, where is it? Because we live out in uh, in one of Holeswell suburb of Christchurch, and there was um, some uh, what do they call it? Well, the government uh, housing, social housing. Mm-hmm. They they interspersed in some of the suburbs. And um, one of the houses, there was a house fire, and then in the press it came out that hey, this was you know social housing, and then that was it. Like on the community Facebook page, it was just like oh my word, like who knew that there were these people? You know, these people living in our community. And it's like, what do you mean these people? They're just people living in your community. Like you don't know them, they don't know you. Why don't you get to know them? Yeah, there's a whole lot. So yeah, what if that's part of the problem? potentially in terms of that full integration yet yeah, I mean I guess do you have capacity to engage with communities or is it I suppose it's a hard one isn't it you don't want to let a community know hey these people are different we're going to drop them into your community please be nice to them but equally you, you know you need to try and make that connection within the community at some level so yeah what do you I don't know how do you 
I think you have conversations yeah. and um, where you see your opportunity to challenge stigma, then you step into mm. that space and, and you do that to, yeah. in the nicest way, less confrontational way <laughs> that you can. Um, not the socialist work away, yeah. which I, you know, my youth, but um, it's, yeah, we have a family recovery garden in the city centre here yeah. and um, we, as an organisation, support that space, but that space is there so that people can um, find out more about mm. recovery. It's a quiet space away from the chaos of Margaret Mayhe, um, <laughs> that families can go and use that space, right. and um, it's our give back as well. Mm. So that's a really nice project. And I think any project and opportunity that you can have a conversation, yes, person to person, just create those environments. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that's just plant seeds. Yeah, plant seeds yeah, yeah. And, and then let it. Like I said, and there's, there's a project I'm working on with a, a colleague, and that's very much our thought. Is like, how do you create create a place that everyone just kind of wants to come to because it's a nice place, and then let people realise that you're coming to that venue from a different direction, maybe, mm. but you've both ended up at that same place. So we have something in common. What a crazy idea. Yeah, that we're human and we might yeah. be connected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> on the basic level, you're, you are all, theoretically, we're all humans. There's some people I'm still reserving judgment on. Um, but, you know, theoretically, we are all humans. And it's like, well, we have that in common. And as humans, there are shared experiences that we have that we can get our, you know, get our heads around. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And it is about creating that space, I think, because and, and the Speed Freaks have shown up, shown us and illustrated mm. that to us as an yeah. organisation really well. You know, it's not until you um, invite people in or mm. they find nobody, they you find know, you. how do they yeah. know what we do and, and how they could help yeah. unless, unless a pathway is mm. provided or at least it's shown and then yes. people are able to say, hey, this is what I can offer, is there, is there a fit? Can I come help? Yeah. yeah. And such a low cost, easy way to test that as well without having to build like a big resource or a you know something big and expensive to test it yeah. so i think that's a, there's a top tip there for you know community-based organizations yeah what's your minimal viable product of just getting people to go for a walk or a cup of tea or mm. what have you mm. very cool so future for odyssey house do you feel more you know more social enterprise more kind of commercially based is that something that you see more or because this I think for you know, for the not-for-profits there's a bit of a mindset challenge shift around traditional funding models but it's getting harder there's more charities versus trying to start something more commercial but it's commercial it's risky people might stop buying it next year yeah what are your thoughts on that what do you see hmm that's a really interesting good question <laughs> I think I <laughs> you know and there, there are businesses for good that are um, you know, operating at ninety percent, they're bringing in their own income, and, mm. and obviously we're at the other end of that spectrum. So, you know, what we bring in through social enterprise is that cherry on the top mm. allows us to do a few things differently. I think to spread that um, percentage is a really good good idea, um, but like anything, it's got to be scoped. It's yes. got to be on the basis of of of, of what we do well mm. already. Um, it is hard. It's hard looking for funding. It's hard to, for example, rebuilding the house. The money we have, the money there to provide the service. Mm. But for capital projects, it's very different in mm. in, um, in fundraising in in NGOs. So, I think to have a mix up is a really good way forward. Yep. And I think for people looking at social enterprise, if you're if you're looking at your procurement and say, 
I have to, you know, be doing so so much of social procurement. If you're going to a social enterprise run by an NGO, that mm. box is fully ticked yeah. because um, there's no, you know, there's it's not hasn't had to be um, mm. accredited in, in X, Y, yeah. Z, you know exactly where your money's going. So, mm. so I think there's lots of scope in that arena for NGOs. Yeah, mm. I'd like to explore that a bit more. <laughs> it's, I guess it's the, because the social enterprise word, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting one that's, I find, uh, I don't know, two parts of it. I think A, social, it's like, okay, what about environmental? Um, but also enterprise, the, the root of the word enterprise is entrepreneur, which means to enter and take. So, I don't know, it kind of brings, still brings those connotations of, you know, capitalist, ruthless, like, there's an opportunity here, let's get in there, take everything we can and, and you know, rip the industry apart and we've got our money, we're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, it's, just, it's an interesting way. I don't know what, don't know what yeah. your sort of take on how it's, there seems to have been a real sort of buzz of social enterprise for the last couple of years, but it seems to have just tapered off a little bit and it's kind of like, I don't know, why, why is that? Is it, yeah, I've... I've fallen out of love with the word to a degree and I don't think you're on your own and I think it's also um, it hasn't had a clear definition so it Mm. goes it's it's those two words it's the two word basket again so so we're part of a group in Christchurch and um, uh, which is for for charities looking at social enterprising and ended up being renamed of charities in business because it felt it was a better description. Yeah, yeah, of what you do. Yeah, yeah. and I, and businesses that do good. I don't, yeah. you know, it, it, yeah. Social enterprise has got so morphed into various different ways. Yeah. I don't think people know what they're getting. So it's a tricky yeah. one. Yeah, it is a tricky one. one. Mm. Yeah, and if you look, I guess if you look at the clear, like the clearest definition that there has been to date, it's that funding part of it, isn't it? You know, fifty mm-hmm. percent, I guess, essentially, or, or majority of money from trading and fifty percent reinvested. Um, back into the, the mission, you sort of go, well, you look at some of the business, well, who would be a good one to pick on? I don't know. There's, a few, there's some businesses doing really good stuff that wouldn't meet the definition of social enterprise, but it's like, but they're still doing really good. So does it matter that they're not? Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. Mm. I, I think there, there could be a podcast coming up on this uh, the, the topic of social enterprise. Oh, you'd, have to have a, you'd have to have a table of, I know, well, of, the, of eclectic minds. There's, there's three <laughs> people that have all said that they'd like to do one together um, around like what is social enterprise and what, like what, what's happened to it and, and where yeah where do we go like yeah what what is it yeah which that, is just an interesting one. That would be a really good podcast. Okay, well we'll see how that goes. Mm. Mm. So what else can I ask you? Purpose based stuff. Um, yeah, what does the future look like for impact and purpose? And you know, you kind of you kind of mentioned earlier on that you know addiction's kind of always been here. Um, it's probably not going to go away. Um, yeah, but how, how do we best manage it? You know, do we is it is there a, a a level of addiction that we sort of go well that's okay in in the modern world? Or I mean, and, and I guess also what what does addiction look like as we go for you know computer game addiction, video game addiction, mm-hmm. iPhone addiction. Um, yeah, is addiction getting worse uh, All in that respect? But, and, and years and years ago, um, Professor Doug Selman, who's based here in, in, in Christchurch, talked about sugar okay. and, it's, and, um, and, and food and, you know, like how do, you know, mm. where does... Where do you draw the line? Yeah, basically, and it's, is it sport, you know? Mm. I'm sure there's some runners out there that would say they're addicted to running and that might not be doing their 
joint is any good, I don't know. So that's yeah, there's parameters. <laughs> there's parameters. Yeah, there's parameters everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> yeah. I don't know. There's always going to be something, isn't there? There will always be something. Mm. There'll always be more. There'll always be a need mm. for addiction services. Yeah. And um, I think as communities, it's how we embrace one another. Mm. Warts and all. Yeah. And and we are inclusive to, mm. to everybody. And, yeah. you know, people work hard to, to change their pathways that we are supportive of that. Mm. Yeah. But I guess, yes, yeah, so, yeah, having that inclusivity, but at the same time being open to constructive criticism that, hey, I'm kind of noticing that you do this quite a lot. Uh, I don't think that's helping you be the best human that you could be. Would you like to have, you know, I don't know, how do you how do you broach a topic around, you know, even, you know, I just look at people using their iPhones all the time. You know, when, when you say, hey, you're on your phone quite a lot. Why? What do you mean? I'm always on my phone. Hey, you're always on your phone. It's like... Oh, well, that's a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm just talking about iPhones here, and we haven't even got started on your Pino habit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one because there's so many things all the time, mm. aren't there? You know, and um, yeah, technology, gaming, um, there's all kinds of things. I think we've got we've got Russell Brand visiting yes. us here in Christchurch. Off to go see him. Yes. Just let you go. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I wish I was, but I'm not. Not a fan, or just um, no. Happen? I am a fan. I'm just not able to. But um, yeah, no. I think that's you know his take on addiction and what mm. he offers and his offers is is really interesting. So I think things will change and be different, mm. and there'll always be a need for residential services. I don't think think that's going to change. Mm. Um, there's much more of a move towards online um, support as well. Okay. And apps and things like that, and being used in mm. conjunction with treatment services, and people like um, Mr. Brand having mm. his. I think he's just done a program, yes. a free program, which yeah, preceded yeah. his tour, um, which is around addiction and recovery focus, mm. and, and following that sort of twelve step. His yep. his take yeah, on yeah. twelve step model. Yep. So, so there's all different ways, and it's mm. no one size fits all. About yep. people finding what what's right for them and yep. being able to hold their hands up. If it's if you're in trouble, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so your your programs are they follow anything similar to like the twelve step program? My my only knowledge of the twelve step program is through listening to Russell Brand and things. I think I might have googled them once just to see what they were, just out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah is that is it aligned? Like, is that a basis? No, so we're not it? a twelve step program. So, so our services are varied. So, from one to one. Um, counselling um, to um, group works so a group that um, mm. we have a city centre service here so there's a lot of different groups that people can feed into yep. we have day programmes and we have therapeutic communities so for youth for adults and, yep. and um, a collaboration with Pathway which is for women um, and that's just gone through its 12 month pilot but they're based on a therapeutic community model mm. and that is that you live in a community and you work as a community and community is a method of change mm. So um, that underpins underpins our philosophy. Nice, yeah. what a crazy idea! Get together, connect what, with the people. Communities, yeah. communities, and communi- communicating and communities. Yeah, what a crazy idea! Yeah. It might catch on. I think it's interesting because it's I sometimes kind of feel again that you know trying to change the world, how to make the world a better place, and there's all these sexy ideas and tools and programs, and it's like actually it just comes back to knowing your neighbours. You know what I mean? Like just get get to know the people on your street, yeah. like say good day to. 
random humans that you don't know. But it's very unsexy to. I think we, to, you, call, to make it that. Yeah, yeah. Of course, because you've just taken all the theory behind it and made it. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> but it's like you know, when, when you, I don't know, if you get a letter, not you get many letters, or you get an email from the council saying, oh, you know, community program. It's just I don't know. You just maybe it's me, but I don't know. Like the, the initial thought is like, oh, community outreach program from the council. I'm like, like could you get anything that sounds more boring mm. than that? And you know, yet we kind of all have this desire to do more good and, and do stuff, but actually it could just be as simple as, you know, the person next door to you, are you, are you all right? You know, oh, are you struggling a bit? Do you want to come around for dinner? Mm. You know what I mean? It's, it's <laughs> but it'll be interesting though for you and with what you do, because you're like, I, I sort of stuck in NGO mm. thinking, um, and and with um, the coaching, I, I get that different a different focus yeah. from from people that aren't aren't yeah. in, in that arena. But for you, when you're working with sort of bigger businesses, or you know, you must. How does that work with their sense of purpose, or what's the mm. you know what's the feeling that you get from that? Because mm. um, you know, an NGO can say, "I'm here," and you know, everyone that's employed here is here yeah. to um, you know participate and support someone in the change process yeah. and and you know we're definitely not in it for the wages yes um so um you know but but for business how do they then find that that sense of purpose if if we're saying that what quite often what it boils down to mm. is being able to give back leave yep. a legacy and left a positive mark yep. in life so the entry point because uh, you can make a very good i mean cigarettes is the one that i'll use as a good example so you could claim that there's purpose in selling cigarettes because um, if you are anxious and stressed, having a cigarette will calm you down. Okay, so I'm, I'm creating good, creating a positive outcome for this person who's going to buy my cigarette. Mm. So you could, you could make a claim that that is purpose-driven because it's for the benefit of someone else and the more cigarettes I sell, the less anxious all these people are going to be and isn't that great. But the caveat to, to that is we also now know that that cigarette's more than likely going to increase your chances of lung cancer, heart disease, and all the other things that we know are bad from smoking. So that's kind of like the, the catch-all. That it's like, okay, you might find meaning in what you're doing because you, you've chosen to find that meaning there. But for me, for it to be truly purpose-driven, it has to be good for you and good for the other person. And I think... So when I'm talking to organisations, it's, it's typically like, let's not, let's not try and pivot you to be able to change the world from tomorrow. Just understand who you serve and how you contribute to their life. So if I was, I've never worked for a cigarette company, if I was asked to, like, that's where I'd start. Like, how are you contributing to a human being having a better outcome? Because typically, at the end of every organisation, it's a human trying to buy something mm -hmm. to make their life easier. So even if you can just understand who we help and how we make their life a bit better through because they're buying our product for a reason start there because that's contribution you're contributing and then it's like the multi-layered addiction side of things okay well whilst we're delivering that product what impact are we making so how do we how are we impacting our community the environment our, our employees to deliver that product great so you can look at all of that and then it's like okay well is that thing actually good for that person that's going to let's go do an analysis on how does our product actually affect the world and like really get into the stakeholder side of things. But I think it's really hard. And historically, probably when I first started out doing this stuff, it was a bit more confrontational. It's like you know, 
you lot are bad, can't you see the bad that you're doing? But it's like, no, you've got to start with people and go, let's help you understand what this purpose thing feels like because it is there. Mm. Connect to it at that really basic level. And once you understand that, that's when you can build it because doing good is contagious. So it's like, okay, now, now I know how I'm providing something to another person. I get some meaning out of that. How do I now do that better? And that's the, that's the mm. journey up. Because it's, it's like... Um, What's the analogy I'd use? I can't think of one off the top of my head. But it's like, you know, for, 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 I think for a lot of profit-driven organisations, they, they can't see where they could potentially get to because mm. it's like we're so on the track of we just need to make money, just need to make money. This is my KPI. Yeah, this is, the, again, it's like that rational KPI mm. instead of... And so if you, can, if you can help them connect onto this new tram line, this new, you know, new, new track, it's like then you get to... You know, over time, that's when you get to show them way 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 over here far to the right but there's a whole other road that you never knew existed mm. but you've got to get them off that groove of the that, record yeah yeah exactly mm. that mm. Mm. so that, that's how you do it that's quite a journey it is <laughs> and, and it just comes down then to you know how quickly a company can move um, what the pressures are for them you know I think there will be certain there will be certain industry sectors that have more pressure on them to move more quickly um, others less so you know the leadership how keen and committed they are to do this but you can flip a company pretty quickly you know if you really want if you mm. were all in on it doesn't take you know it's the analogy i use is, is like the rugby analogy you know how long does it take to score a try I, I think i researched it the world record it was about three seconds to score a try so if you're if you're five points down with five seconds to go you can still win like if you if all the things line up and you put all your effort into it it is possible and it's the same thing with change with humans it's like if you put all your energy to it change doesn't have to take a long time we just sometimes like to make it take a long time i guess yeah mm. but just on that so tell us a little bit more to finish up just on your on your coaching stuff how did you get into that oh that's a good question um i've always been well i, I always been interested in coaching and I think it aligns with social work really nicely. Just a little bit, I'd say. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, social work's a great one for always seeing hope and always seeing potential. And uh, that's what I like. I like, to, I like to meet people and see their potential and see how they can fit with other nice. humans. And, and, and help them on their Yeah, too. and what magic can happen. But um, And I was fortunate enough to have a coach myself and... As a social worker, we have to have clinical supervision. Mm -hmm. So I've had that throughout my career and there were a lot of similarities. And I always thought supervision should have been open to every discipline. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. It was unique to social work. Yeah. And then stumbling across coaching, it was to some of the really good bits of social work supervision. But it took it further. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, was asking people to be really curious about themselves and where they wanted to be and what were some of the beliefs that they held that were stopping them mm -hmm. and holding them back so um, I've been really fortunate to be able to use coaching within the workplace at Odyssey um, and it's been a really useful tool particularly for um, for team leaders and mm -hmm. um, people that just wanting to have a different lens on yep. things um, so yeah I've, I, I think the world of coaching is is yet an untapped one um, I'd love to see more people using it um, and yeah just just a real opener I think it would be something we mm -hmm. could use as NGOs um, actually with our, with our clients a lot more once we've yep. reached a certain level to actually explore potential and look at those limiting beliefs 
what's stopping you from doing that? Someone's told me something. Exactly. I believed it. Yep, and that's, it's, I've just been running a workshop on that, exactly that this morning. It's like, you look at, you know, 95% of your decision making as an adult is controlled subconsciously. Your subconscious is formed to the ages of zero and seven. So pretty much all your beliefs and operating systems you're currently running on were put in there by your parents, peers, society, whoever, between zero and seven. And it's like, unless you can go back and challenge that, yeah, it's interesting. And I think that's a big part of the purpose journey is that is that shadow work, like going into that part of you that you know is there, but you don't want to acknowledge it. And it's like, that's, that's, where, that's where you've got to go if you really want to get somewhere and get to a really good place for yourself. But it's interesting in a, in a country that is so, you know, sports mad, I've, I think it's, it's yeah, it, like, you know, all the great rugby players, all the great sporting people in New Zealand, yeah, they have, of course they have a coach, of course they have a coach. Great, well, do you have a coach? No, don't be silly. I think there's a, there's a reticence to coaching in general in New Zealand in the wider world. Yeah. yeah I don't know how you find out. Yeah, I think, you know, people think mentors, they think, counsellors they think all of those things I think what we're not very good at is um, taking the time to actually spend some time on ourselves and with ourselves so um, you know we for example we would we might talk to clients around their values and and, you know what they want out of life but actually when do we sit down and say I'm gonna look at my values and what I want yeah yeah we don't we're just rushing around so Um, it, it, it's a shift to be able to say I actually want to invest in me yep. and I want to spend some time in me and um, actually it's not down the gym or um, you know um, at a retreat it's yeah, actually yeah. just focusing on you. specifically yeah, yeah. on someone asking me some questions that are going to yeah. gonna make me sit and, sit and think totally Mm-hmm. I think I can't remember. It's either Socrates, Plato, or Aristotle. One of the three. Who's I need to because I've said this quote like three times in the last week. So I need to after this I'll go fact check it. Um, but it's know thyself. Like that was the, that's the, but not not in a um, superficial way. It's like really know who you are. Mm-hmm. And I th- and again that's such a key part mm-hmm. of purpose. Like who really are you? And what do you really want to do? And what you know could you be all about? So yeah. Mm. And I think those people stand out, those people that have done that and they present their authentic and it comes exactly before that. them. Yeah, yeah, you can and just feel it. Yeah. It's, again, it's like, but keep an ROI on that. It's like, no, but you you just know those, you can, people who have that presence when they walk into a room, it's like, I if I had to describe that, I couldn't. If I needed to write a 2,000 word essay on what it, I can do that if I had to write the colour I probably couldn't do that but I can tell you that you that's it and you know the people that have come into your life with that before you exactly and that. I think mana is a really good yeah, yeah, word yeah. to um, describe yeah. that and when that happens it's like wow yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. very cool well, we're up to the hour mark, so it's oh. probably time to go off for a cup of Yorkshire tea. Yeah, and you've been back for ages. I know, I and you did Yorkshire actually bring more two Yorkshire tea bags, so... <laughs> Stolen from my son. <laughs> sure, you could have got away with that, he'll never know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, no, thank you uh, for sparing the time. Um, yeah, great to get to know a little bit more about what you're doing and, and clearly the amazing work that you're doing. And, um, yeah, keep on keeping on. Yeah, thanks, Tim. It's always nice to have a yarn with you. Don't worry, and I, I genuinely do want a cup of tea, so... And that's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening in to my podcast. 
As I say, I'd love to know where you are on your journey in pursuit of purpose. And if you've got any questions that you'd like me to try and answer for you or people you'd like me to interview on this podcast, please do let me know through a message or a comment. Also do connect with me on other social media platforms. You'll find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and on YouTube. For more information about me and what I offer through my business, Grow Good, you can also go find me at www.growgood.co. That's growgood.co. If you want to get in contact with me, my email is really easy, tim at growgood.co. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, go well and keep on pursuing your purpose.